Well, again, Happy New Year. Great to be with you. I know as we kind of end the year and look at a year ahead, it's very common for many people as we kind of, as we reflect on the year we just got through, a lot of times we kind of reflect on what went well, what didn't, and you look at the year ahead, and often when people start looking ahead and start making resolutions or goals for the next year, they usually are centered somewhere around how you can be a better version of yourself for the next year. That's kind of often what we do. I, I just read uh, someone she wrote at the beginning of 2018, her goal was to have a thinner waistline and a fatter bank account by the end of the year was her goal. She said the year ended and now she has a thinner bank account and a fatter waistline. And so it got them mixed up. But that's common with many of us. In fact, most reports show that 80% of all the New Year's resolutions are broken by the end of January. I think it's two weeks is the average amount of time that we as very disciplined people can hang on (laughs) to our New Year's resolution. So as we come to the end of the year and look at the year ahead, you might be thinking all of these things of things that you want to do as a year ahead to be a better version of yourself. You might have a list like these sticky notes up here that looks like that, like, okay, these are all the things that are on your mind as you look the year ahead, and they're all usually centered around becoming a better you is what is very common out there. I, I was thinking about it too, and, and, and the number one, as you c- can tell, the number one goal people have when they look at a new year is fitness goals. Uh, fitness and money are the two things that people usually do make goals about. So I was thinking about it, and when you go to the gym, uh, you know, in the next few days, you're going to see people who, uh, that you haven't seen all year, by the way, they'll be back at the gym. Uh, paying the dues year-round to keep the price down for the rest of you who use it. But uh, that's just kind of how it works. But I was thinking about that, and if I went to the gym and made a fitness goal that I was going to be able to lift more weight in the year ahead, as you think about that, that, that's kind of a common one. But I was thinking about it, if if my only goal was that I could lift this and have stronger muscles in the year ahead, what would be my motivation for that? Would my motivation be because I, I, I need to be stronger? I, I have to confess, in my line of work, I don't need any more muscles. It's not often I'm throwing a bag of concrete over my shoulder and working all day, so th- it wouldn't be for any practical reasons. It might be so that when I look in the mirror that I see more muscles and feel better about myself. Could be one of those reasons. Or maybe that when my wife looks at me that she would be impressed with my muscles, Though she's reminded me often, women are not visually motivated, and that's not going to work, but that's okay. (laughs) Maybe it's because I have three boys, and maybe if I have bigger muscles, I can impress them, and they can look up to me as their dad and say, look at how strong my dad is. Or let's be honest, maybe I want bigger muscles, it's because I go to the gym, and when you're at the gym, people look at you, (laughs) and you want to lift more because... This is what guys do at the gym. They see someone who's basically their size. You walk by and you do this quick little glance down to see how much weight they're actually lifting. You don't want them to know you're looking because that would be rude, but you do want to know how much they're lifting. Unless they're like a big bodybuilder. I don't really care. That's not going to be me. But if I see someone my size, I'm always trying to figure out how much weight they're lifting. Some of you right now are trying to figure out how much weight is on this. And you're thinking, wow, that's it? (laughs) 
You are. I know you are. Because <laughs> that's what we do. Now, if my motivation for this is just so that I can impress people who are looking at me, I got to be honest, that usually doesn't last very long. It doesn't keep me motivated. If it's always an if-then type of a relationship with the goal, if it's if I only could be a little stronger, then my boys would be impressed. If I could only lift more, then everyone at the gym will think I'm important. But that's often how we go about our goals, is we think it's a transaction that somehow is going to make us more acceptable. And the thing is, often we do the same thing in our spiritual lives. We make spiritual goals where we say, okay, in the year ahead, I want to be a better Christian than I was at the beginning of the year. I want to have a stronger faith. I want to grow in my faith. Now, that's not a bad thing, but how do we go about that? Often it's the same type of thing like spiritual weightlifting. That we say, well, maybe I'm going to pray more this year so that God will listen to my prayers. Maybe I'll read the Bible more. If only I read the Bible more, then the people in my life group will think I'm pretty strong when they look over at me. They'll be impressed that I can find the book of Hezekiah. Tell you that one later. (laughs) But so we do these if-thens in our spiritual life. But one thing that we've learned in working in ministry for many years, we see that many of us, our spiritual goals end up being very much like our fitness goals. We last about two weeks, miss a day or two, get discouraged because we missed a day or two, so then we don't do it for the next week, and then we have never even created any new patterns. It's very similar. So this morning what we want to do is we're actually kicking off a new series called Rhythms. And the rhythms are everyday movements of the Christian life. We don't want to give you a list, a new list of laws or a new list of goals for your new year that you can get discouraged. You can start really strong for two weeks and then get discouraged and feel like you are a failure spiritually. That's not our goal for you. What we want to do is talk about what are the rhythms, what are the things in our lives that can actually be transformative, not so much what we do, but we want to change not the outward appearances, but what are the mindsets What are the rhythms of a Christian life that then actually lead to real spiritual growth? We want to talk about that over the next several weeks, and today we're going to just introduce the subject. So before we get into it, join me as we pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning again. I pray now as we look into your word that this would really be about you. And God, I pray that this morning that you would set us all free from the desire or the need to somehow impress each other with our spiritual muscles. And God, that you'd set us free from that trap of creating new to-do lists and, and things that we think will impress others with our faith. But God, help us to actually encounter you and be transformed because of you. So I ask that now, Lord, you teach us through your word. In your name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 15. Now, the book of John, today we're going to look at what I call is a rhythm in our lives or something that is a part of a daily 
spiritual rhythm that I believe is part of our growth is called the rhythm of belief, is what I want to talk about today. And before we really get down to what I mean by that, I think it's important that we start with this in John chapter 15, because Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples about what it means to be a Christian, and what it looks like to be a Christian that is actually looks like a Christian. And so let's, let's look at this. He starts off and says, in John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more. You, already, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So if you abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, can do nothing. And I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We're just going to look at those five verses for today. Now, this might be a familiar passage for many of you, and you've heard about this before. But I want to look at why did Jesus use this imagery, and what, how does this relate to our spiritual lives and creating rhythms that actually then produces in us the kind of life that Christ is describing. So first of all, let's look at, he uses this imagery of a vine. Now why did he use the imagery of a vine? Throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the imagery of a vine actually comes up quite often. But the vine and the vineyard in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, is, relates to the nation and the people of Israel. I want to show you a few verses. In Psalm chapter 80, verse 8, says this, You brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations, and you planted it. So there's this idea that the nation of Israel is a vine. The next one, Isaiah 5, 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. So again, there's the, the imagery of a vineyard. Now again, the, the vineyard, the vine, the idea was throughout the Old Testament, that God had called his people to represent his name. He gave the law, the very law was so they understood the character and nature of God. So the way it works is this, if the nation of Israel perfectly obeyed the laws of God, they would be representatives of his character to the world. And in doing that, then that would be a blessing to the nations. They would be a vine producing shade and, and symbolically producing shade and fruit, and they would be a blessing to the ends of the earth. That was the original uh, call that was given to Adam and Eve, and it was reiterated to Abraham that through your name, you'll be a blessing to the ends of the earth. So they were called to their holiness or their ability to follow the law was like a vine being planted for the benefit of others. Now, by the time we get to the prophets, I want to show you Jeremiah 2, verse 21. The theme starts changing. It says this, I planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. Again, here's your calling. You're the vine. Be a blessing. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt and wild vine? So what they discovered was though Israel was called to be the vineyard, the people of God, they were given a law so that they could do this perfectly, they were unable to uphold the law. They kept falling short of being that vineyard. They kept falling short of being what God had called them to be, so they weren't able then to be this full blessing that, for the ends of the earth. They were falling short. 
So now keep that in your mind. This is the imagery of vineyard throughout the Old Testament. Now, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the true vine in John 15, 1. It wasn't a new analogy. He wasn't pulling something, a, a new idea out. He was saying, hey, you understand, you as my people should be the vineyard. You should be a blessing to all the nations. Through your very holiness, you should be able to do this, but you can't. Because the law falls short. You, you fall short of being able to live up to it. So Jesus says, I am that true vine. I am the fulfillment. I am everything that you guys weren't able to do. I am the perfect embodiment of the character and the nature of God the creator. In my life, you will find blessing for the ends of the earth. I am the vine. But then he goes on. He doesn't say, so it stops there. He says, you are the branches. Let's get the analogy right. Because it didn't work when it was just on you. And we know that we all fall short. We know that we have the inability to perfectly follow the laws of God. And the laws of God are not meant to control us, but to point us to his holiness and our need for him. But so Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment of that. I am the vine, but you are the branches. Branches are connected into the vine. We still have a role. He goes on in there. So he starts off the vine and says, anyone, any branch that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. In other words, the fruit is always evidence throughout Scripture. It's evidence of what kind of tree it is. So you could tell what tree it is and the health of it by the fruit that it produces. Now, in a Christian life, we sometimes call this the fruit of the Spirit. The evidence of a Christian life, you have love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, there's a few others there that I don't have, but those are some, some of those that are described as the fruit of a Christian life. So Jesus says, this is, you want to bear fruit. Now, if you're bearing fruit, you're going to be pruned so that you can bear even more. The goal is that there's evidence that you are connected to the vine. There's evidence of who you belong to through your life. But now notice in this passage, Jesus doesn't say, so here's the plan. You're supposed to bear fruit as a Christian, so your goal is to go bear more fruit. Produce more fruit. Notice what he says. He says, so here's the solution. And this is for our goal for 2019. If you want to grow spiritually, we want to have more spiritual fruit. Look at what he says. Abide in me and I in you. Because a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, he doesn't say, so go be more loving this year. Go be more joyful. Be more patient. That's the Christian life. Go do these things. He says, abide in me. Dwell with me. Now, some of your Bibles use the word remain in me. Some might use to dwell. It's definitely connected to the word of a dwelling place. It's, I love this in Ezekiel chapter 37. God is talking now in Ezekiel. This is how he's going to renew this, his spirit in his people. It's another prophecy, and he says this. This is about when the Messiah comes and people are returned to God. Ezekiel 37, I have it on the screen for you. Verse 27 says this. My dwelling place, or the place where I abide, I will, will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. The nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary or my dwelling place is among them forever. Notice again in here, what makes them holy? 
Is it their ability to be holy? Is it their ability to be joyful? Their ability to be patient, to be loving and forgiving? No, it says, I, the Lord, will make them holy when I dwell among them, when I abide with them and they abide with me. So what Jesus is referring to here is, yes, he's giving us a picture of what it looks like to have to grow in our spiritual lives. But instead of a list of new exercises that are only going to show up on the outside, he's giving us a solution, which is to abide with Christ, to dwell with him, to have our minds more in love with who he is, to understand him more. So this is where I call it our goal for this year. The first rhythm we want to talk about is a rhythm of belief. The rhythm in your life of believing. In John chapter 6, they asked Jesus, uh, the crowd was asking Jesus, tell us what we are supposed to do to be holy. Tell us the work that we're supposed to do to please God. Jesus responded this way in verse 29. The, The work of God is this, that you believe in the one that he sent. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say the work, so how should we be holy? Well, memorize the scriptures. How should we be holy? Well, you need to pray more. How can we please God? Well, you need to tell more people about your faith. They said, how can we please God? He says, do this. Believe in the one who he sent. You know, I first became a Christian. No one told me this. They didn't tell me. They told me, yeah, you have to believe in Jesus. Then you're a Christian. But then you know what they said? Here's some things you need to do. And let's start with this. Let's start with the music you listen to, Ryan. We have to get rid of, you have to stop listening to the music you listen to because when you play it backwards, Satan shows up. (laughs) And this is the joke we used to say is, yeah, when you play it forward, it's about Satan. So I don't know the difference, but, but they would say, stop listening to this music and we have great alternatives. Let me show you this band called Striper. Fantastic. Oh, you like rap music? We have gospel gangsters. We've got whatever you need. We have the Christian alternative. So give up your music, is what I was told. I was told to stop hanging out with your friends because you need different friends. Now, there was some truth to that. There's some wisdom to that as far as what will help you and what can drag you down. But what I was given was not a, hey, what work should I do? No one said, believe in the one who who sent, who God has sent. Believe in Jesus. They said, do these things. Make sure you show up at youth group. Make sure you show up every Sunday morning. Hey, we have a mission trip coming up. You should probably do that. And what I was given was a whole bunch of stuff, exercises, that made me look really good on the outside. Now again, none of those things in and of themselves are bad. We talk about that all the time. In fact, some of our rhythms, we are going to look at scripture in a few weeks. We're going to look at prayer. But instead of saying, here's a list of exercises, we want to be people who say, well, when we, how do we engage in, with scripture in a way that helps us to do this, to believe more in Jesus? And what I have found is that when my belief in who Jesus is and my belief in what he has said about me is actually true, that that is what produces in me a desire to know him more. And that would actually produces in me a desire to be more loving or joyful. Or actually, I start to become more loving and joyful on accident. You know, working in a church is a weird thing. I didn't come from a family of pastors or anyone who worked in a church. So it's, it's my wife and I joke, and it's still new to us, even though we've been doing it for my whole career. 
But we don't have a model of what it looks like. But it's a weird thing because it's a job that every week, when we're done here, I evaluate myself based on whether you were on vacation or not. <laughs> and it's, it's something you can hardly even avoid. In fact, Monday mornings are known as for pastors, one of the most, most of them are depressed on Mondays. I tell you that I actually don't mind Mondays, but a lot of them are. Why? Because every week, the first thing they look at is how many people showed up and how much money was given. Now, I don't even think that's a prideful thing. I think it's because it's a position that's being judged by those measures all the time. And so it's a very difficult thing. Actually, it's a strange thing. So I love having the wisdom of Dale, who's been doing it for much longer and has been through this. But to know, like, you know, it's one of those things that my identity could easily rise and fall week to week. And it could just be because the surf was good. And it affects me. But see, I believe that God has taught me through the years, and one thing I've grown in is that it actually affects me less and less. Because I learn and believe more and more who Jesus is. And in those moments, I have to apply the rhythm of faith. Jesus, what do I believe about you? Do I believe that you're in control of this church? Yes. See, because when I start worrying too much about that, then I'm starting to believe that Ultimately, this church is up to me. Now, I believe I have responsibility. I need to work hard. I want to do the right things. But I step in and take the place of God. And he has to remind me the rhythm of belief is to say, hold on, is this God's church or my church? If lives are being changed, is it because I failed and I didn't preach well enough? Or is it because the Holy Spirit's not working in in people's lives? It's not my job to change your life. That would be a scary thing. Sad thought if it was my job to change your life. But the more I believe in, grow in my belief in who Jesus is, I can trust that, wait, no, it's, a God of, it's the job of Jesus. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to change and to transform you, not mine. In fact, if this doesn't go well, it's his fault, not mine. <laughs> I say that jokingly, but the truth is there's a lot of freedom in that. So the rhythm of belief, how can you apply belief to the situations you face in your life? Is there somebody that you need to forgive that you just have a hard time forgiving? Because in your mind, you think, if I reach out and offer forgiveness, they're just gonna take advantage of me again. They're just gonna mistreat me if I do that. How do you apply belief in Jesus to that situation? Can you grow in your belief that, God, you know what? You've forgiven me of everything So I can extend forgiveness, and even if they mistreat me, I'm going to trust that you are who you say you are in this situation. And what happens in their life is actually up to you, not me. How can you apply the rhythm of belief in a financial struggle you're going through? Is it, God, I trust you with everything but my finances? Or do you need to apply belief there? What have you said about me, Lord? You say that you're in control of all things. Does that mean he's going to drop the winning lotto ticket on you tonight? Probably not. (laughs) He might just say, I'm going to help you learn to live with less. But can you trust that in there, God is not abandoning you or leaving you? You see, the more we apply the rhythm of belief, my belief in Jesus gets bigger. That doesn't mean that now my need for him also decreases. Actually, the more I believe about Jesus, the more I see how much I need him. 
and he becomes bigger to me. So when I face difficult things, my belief in Jesus has actually increased and my dependence on him has increased because I see how much I need him. That's what Jesus is saying. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If you dwell with me, that's what produces fruit. Let Christ, let our rhythm of belief to see him for who he is increase. Now you'll notice that causes me to want to know more in scripture because the more I know about him, the more I'm absolutely amazed at what he has done for me. The deeper and deeper I understand who God is, the more impressed I am that he stepped out of heaven for me and for you. That's crazy. And it causes me to want to know him more. The more I understand about his promises, the more I'm willing to pray to him. Because this is the God of the universe who says, pray to me. Do you understand how nuts that is? That's crazy. The one who created all things says, go ahead, lay your heart out before me. Why wouldn't I want to do that? And the difference isn't, okay, God wants me to go pray more, to lift more weights. No, it's because of who he is, therefore I now want to know him. I want to be different. I want to let him transform me. So this morning, we simply want to leave you with a challenge to have a rhythm of belief. Learn to apply your belief in Jesus in every situation. It might even be in a situation that's going well. You guys can come on up. And instead of applying the, look what I've accomplished, you can say, God, why have you been so good to me? How, that's so amazing, Lord, that you've blessed us in this way, that you've shown up time and again. Let's be a church that has continually goes back and does the one work that Jesus tells us to do, and that's to believe in the one whom God sent. That's Jesus. That's who we want to be. That's our challenge for the year ahead. So let's pray as we end. Lord God, we thank you. Again, I thank you that when we look into your word, we don't find a list of requirements that will only discourage us or remind us of how often we fail. But Lord, the more and more we look into your word, what we find is that you you showed up and you stepped into every one of our weaknesses. Lord, when we were called to be the vine, we failed and you came and you are the true vine. Lord, so we thank you that what you've asked us to do is to believe in who you say you are. And so would you now in this place, Lord, increase our faith. Help us to believe you more. Help us to believe in what you've said about us, that it, that is true. And so, Lord, now we want to end our time with a final song of just responding to you. So, Lord, move in this place. Help us to have the rhythm of belief in every situation. We give you this time now, Lord, in your name. Amen.